0: Question 73 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde, treatise on the Cardinal of Virtues, the Virtue of Justice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde, treatise on the Cardinal of Virtues, the Virtue of Justice, by st thomas aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question seventy three of backbiting or detraction in four articles we must now consider backbiting under which head there are four points of inquiry first what is backbiting second whether it is a mortal sin third of its comparison with other sins. Fourth, whether it is a sin to listen to backbiting. First article, whether backbiting is suitably defined as the blackening of another's character by secret words. Objection 1. It would seem that backbiting is not as defined by some, the blackening of another's good name by words uttered in secret. For secretly and openly are circumstances that do not constitute the species of a sin, because it is accidental to a sin that it be known by many or by few. Now that which does not constitute the species of a sin does not belong to its essence, and should not be included in its definition. Therefore, it does not belong to the essence of backbiting that it should be done by secret words. Objection 2 further. The notion of a good name implies something known to the public. If, therefore, a person's good name is blackened by backbiting, this cannot be done by secret words, but by words uttered openly. Objection 3 further. To detract is to subtract or diminish something already existing. But sometimes a man's good name is blackened, even without subtracting from the truth. For instance, when one reveals the crimes which a man has in truth committed. Therefore, not every blackening of a good name is backbiting. On the contrary, it is written in Ecclesiastes 10.11, If a serpent bite in silence, he is nothing better than backbiteth. I answer that just as one man injures another by deed in two ways, openly, as by robbery, or by doing him any kind of violence, and secretly, as by theft, or by a crafty blow, so again one man injures another by words in two ways, in one way openly, and this is done by reviling him, as stated above in question seventy two, article one, and in another way secretly, and this is done by backbiting. Now from the fact that one man openly utters words against another man, he would appear to think little of him, so that for this reason he dishonors him, so that reviling is detrimental to the honor of the person reviled. On the other hand, he that speaks against another secretly seems to respect rather than slight him, so that he injures directly not his honor but his good name, in so far as by uttering such words secretly, he, for his own part, causes his hearers to have a bad opinion of the person against whom he speaks. For the backbiter apparently intends and aims at being believed. It is therefore evident that backbiting differs from reviling in two points. First, in the way in which the words are uttered, the reviler speaking openly against someone, and the backbiter secretly secondly as to the end in view that is as regards the injury inflicted the reviler injuring a man's honor the backbiter injuring his good name reply to objection one in involuntary commutations to which are reduced all injuries inflicted on our neighbor whether by word or by deed the kind of sin is differentiated by the circumstances secretly and openly because involuntariness itself is diversified by violence and by ignorance as stated above in question 65 article 4 as well as in the pars prima secunde question 6 articles 5 and 8 reply to objection to the words of a backbiter are said to be secret not altogether but in relation to the person of whom they are said because they are uttered in his absence and without his knowledge on the other hand the reviler speaks against a man to his face wherefore if a man speaks ill of another in the presence of several it is case of backbiting if he is absent but of reviling if he alone be present although if a man speak ill of an absent person to one man alone He destroys his good name not altogether, but partly. Reply to Objection 3. A man is said to backbite, detraere another, not because he detracts from the truth, but because he lessens his good name. This is done sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. Directly in four ways first, by saying that which is false about him, secondly, by stating his sin to be greater than it is, thirdly, by revealing something unknown about him, fourthly, by ascribing his good deeds to a bad intention. Indirectly this is done either by gainsaying his good, or by maliciously concealing it, or by diminishing it. second article whether backbiting is a mortal sin objection one you would seem that backbiting is not a mortal sin for no act of virtue is a mortal sin now to reveal an unknown sin which pertains to backbiting as stated above in article one-third reply is an act of the virtue of charity whereby a man denounces his brother's sin in order that he may amend or else it is an act of justice whereby a man accuses his brother therefore backbiting is not a mortal sin objection to further a gloss on proverbs twenty four twenty one have nothing to do with detractors says the whole human race is in peril from this vice but no mortal sin is to be found in the whole of mankind since many refrain from mortal sin whereas they are venial sins that are found in all therefore backbiting is a venial sin objection three further augustine in a homily on the fire of purgatory reckons it a slight sin to speak ill without hesitation or forethought but this pertains to backbiting therefore backbiting is a venial sin on the contrary it is written in romans one thirty backbiters hateful to god which epithet according to a gloss is inserted lest it be deemed a slight sin because it consists in words i answer that as stated above in question seventy two article two sins of word should be judged chiefly from the intention of the speaker. Now backbiting, by its very nature, aims at blackening a man's good name. Wherefore, properly speaking, to backbite is to speak ill of an absent person in order to blacken his good name. Now it is a very grave matter to blacken a man's good name, because of all temporal things a man's good name seems the most precious, for lack of it he is hindered from doing many things well. For this reason it is written in Ecclesiasticus forty one fifteen Take care of a good name, for this shall continue with thee more than a thousand treasures precious and great. Therefore, backbiting, properly speaking, is a mortal sin. Nevertheless, it happens sometimes that a man utters words, whereby someone's good name is tarnished, and yet he does not intend this, but something else. This is not backbiting, strictly and formally speaking, but only materially and accidentally, as it were. And if such defamatory words be uttered for the sake of some necessary good, and with attention to the due circumstances, it is not a sin and cannot be called backbiting. But if they be uttered out of lightness of heart or for some unnecessary motive, it is not a mortal sin unless perchance the spoken word be of such a grave nature as to cause a notable injury to a man's good name, especially in matters pertaining to his moral character, because from the very nature of the words this would be a mortal sin and one is bound to restore a man his good name no less than any other thing one has taken from him in the manner stated above in question 62 article 2 when we were treating of restitution reply to objection one as stated above it is not backbiting to reveal a man's hidden sin in order that he may mend whether one denounce it or accuse him for the good of public justice. Reply to Objection 2. This gloss does not assert that backbiting is to be found throughout the whole of mankind, but almost, both because the number of fools is infinite, Ecclesiastes 1.15, and few are they that walk in the way of salvation, confirm Matthew 7.14 and because there are few or none at all who do not at times speak from lightness of heart so as to injure someone's good name at least slightly, for it is written in James three two, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. Reply to Objection 3. Augustine is referring to the case when a man utters a slight evil about someone, not intending to injure him, but through lightness of heart or a slip of the tongue. Third Article Whether Backbiting is the Gravest of All Sins Committed Against One's Neighbor Objection 1 It would seem that backbiting is the gravest of all sins committed against one's neighbor, because a gloss on Psalm 108, verse 4, Instead of making me a return of love, they detracted me a gloss says those who detract christ in his members and slay the souls of future believers are more guilty than those who killed the flesh that was soon to rise again from this it seems to follow that backbiting is by so much a graver sin than murder as it is a graver matter to kill the soul than to kill the body now murder is the gravest of the other sins that are committed against one's neighbor therefore backbiting is absolutely the gravest of all objection to further backbiting is apparently a graver sin than reviling because a man can withstand reviling but not a secret backbiting now backbiting is seemingly a graver sin than adultery because adultery unites two persons in one flesh whereas reviling severs utterly those who were united therefore backbiting is more grievous than adultery and yet of all other sins a man commits against his neighbor adultery is most grave objection three further reviling arises from anger while backbiting arises from envy according to gregory in his commentary on job thirty one forty five but envy is a greater sin than anger therefore Backbiting is a graver sin than reviling, and so the same conclusion follows as before. Objection 4. Further, the gravity of a sin is measured by the gravity of the defect that it causes. Now backbiting causes a most gravest defect, notably blindness of mind. For Gregory says, What else do backbiters? but blow on the dust and stir up the dirt into their eyes, so that the more they breathe of detraction, the less they see of the truth. Therefore, backbiting is the most grievous sin committed against one's neighbor. On the contrary, it is more grievous to sin by deed than by word. But backbiting is a sin of word, while adultery, murder and theft are sins of deed therefore backbiting is not graver than the other sins committed against one's neighbor i answer that the essential gravity of sins committed against one's neighbor must be weighed by the injury they inflict on him since it is thence that they derive their sinful nature now the greater the good taken away the greater the injury and while man's good is threefold namely the good of his soul the good of his body and the good of external things the good of the soul which is the greatest of all cannot be taken from him by another save as an occasional cause for instance by an evil persuasion which does not induce necessity on the other hand the two latter goods notably of the body and of external things can be taken away by violence since however the goods of the body excel the goods of external things those sins which injure a man's body are more grievous than those which injure his external things consequently among other sins committed against one's neighbor murder is the most grievous since it deprives a man of the life which he already possesses after this comes adultery, which is contrary to the right order of human generation, whereby man enters upon life. In the last place come external goods, among which a man's good name takes precedence of wealth, because it is more akin to spiritual goods, wherefore it is written in Proverbs twenty two one, A good name is better than great riches. Therefore, backbiting according to its genus, is a more grievous sin than theft, but is less grievous than murder or adultery. Nevertheless, the order may differ by reason of aggravating or extenuating circumstances. The accidental gravity of a sin is to be considered in relation to the sinner, who sins more grievously, if he sins deliberately, than if he sins through weakness or carelessness. In this respect, sins of word have a certain levity, in so far as they are apt to occur through a slip of the tongue and without much forethought. Reply to objection one Those who detract Christ by hindering the faith of his members disparage his Godhead, which is the foundation of our faith. Wherefore this is not simple backbiting, but blasphemy. Reply to Objection 2. Reviling is a more grievous sin than backbiting, inasmuch as it implies greater contempt of one's neighbor, even as robbery is a graver sin than theft, as stated above in Question 66, Article 9. Yet reviling is not a more grievous sin than adultery, for the gravity of adultery is measured not from its being a union of bodies, but from being a disorder in human generation. Moreover, the reviler is not the sufficient cause of unfriendliness in another man, but is only the occasional cause of division among those who were united, In so far, to wit, as by declaring the evils of another, he for his own part severs that man from the friendship of other men, though they are not forced by his words to do so. Accordingly, a backbiter is a murderer occasionally, since by his words he gives another man an occasion for hating or despising his neighbor. For this reason it is stated in the epistle of Clement that backbiters are murderers, that is, occasionally, because he that hateth his brother is a murderer, as stated in 1 John 3.15 reply to objection three anger seeks openly to be avenged as the philosopher states in rhetoric to two. wherefore backbiting which takes place in secret is not the daughter of anger as reviling is but rather of envy which strives by any means to lessen one's neighbor's glory nor does it follow from this that backbiting is more grievous than reviling since a lesser vice can give rise to a greater sin, just as anger gives birth to murder and blasphemy. For the origin of a sin depends on its inclination to an end, that is, on the thing to which the sin turns, whereas the gravity of a sin depends on what it turns away from. Reply to Objection 4. Since... A man rejoiceth in the sentence of his mouth, according to Proverbs 15.23. It follows that a backbiter more and more loves and believes what he says, and consequently more and more hates his neighbor, and thus his knowledge of the truth becomes less and less. This effect, however, may also result from other sins pertaining to hate of one's neighbor. fourth article whether it is a grave sin for the listener to suffer the backbiter objection one it would seem that the listener who suffers a backbiter does not sin grievously for a man is not under greater obligations to others than to himself but it is praiseworthy for a man to suffer his own backbiters for gregory says in his ninth homily on ezekiel Just as we ought not to incite the tongue of backbiters, lest they perish, so ought we to suffer them with equanimity, when they have been incited by their own wickedness, in order that our merit may be the greater. Therefore, a man does not sin if he does not withstand those who backbite others. Objection to further, it is written in Ecclesiasticus 430, in no wise speak against the truth now sometimes a person tells the truth while backbiting as stated above in article one third reply therefore it seems that one is not always bound to withstand a backbiter objection three further no man should hinder what is profitable to others now backbiting is often profitable to those who are backbitten For Pope Pius says, Not unfrequently backbiting is directed against good persons, with the result that those who have been unduly exalted through the flattery of their kindred or the favor of others are humbled by backbiting. Therefore one ought not to withstand backbiters. On the contrary, Jerome says, Take care not to have an itching tongue, nor tingling ears, that is, neither detract others nor listen to backbiters. I answer that, according to the Apostle in Romans one thirty-two. They are worthy of death, not only they that commit sins, but they also that consent to them that do them. Now this happens in two ways first directly when to wit one man induces another to sin, or when the sin is pleasing to him. Secondly, indirectly, that is, if he does not withstand him when he might do so, and this happens sometimes not because the sin is pleasing to him, but on account of some human fear. Accordingly, we must say that if a man listens to backbiting without resisting it, he seems to consent to the backbiter, so that he becomes a participator in his sin. And if he induces him to backbite, or at least if the detraction be pleasing to him on account of his hatred of the person detracted, he sins no less than the detractor, and sometimes more. Wherefore Bernard says, It is difficult to say which is the more to be condemned, the backbiter or he that listens to backbiting. If, however, the sin is not pleasing to him, and he fails to withstand the backbiter through fear, negligence, or even shame, he sins indeed, but much less than the backbiter, and as a rule, venially. Sometimes, too, this may be a mortal sin, either because it is his official duty to correct the backbiter, or by reason of some consequent danger or on account of the radical reason for which human fear may sometimes be a mortal sin, as stated above in Question 19, Article 3. Reply to Objection 1. No man hears himself backbitten because when a man is spoken evil of in his hearing, it is not backbiting, properly speaking, but reviling, as stated above, in Article 1, Second Reply. Yet it is possible for the detractions uttered against a person to come to his knowledge through others telling him, and then it is left to his discretion whether he will suffer their detriment to his good name, unless this endanger the good of others, as stated above, in question 72, article 3. Wherefore his patience may deserve commendation forasmuch as he suffers patiently being detracted himself but it is not left to his discretion to permit an injury to be done to another's good name hence he is accounted guilty if he fails to resist when he can for the same reason whereby a man is bound to raise another man's donkey lying underneath his burden as commanded in deuteronomy twenty one four reply to objection to one ought not always to withstand a backbiter by endeavoring to convince him of falsehood, especially if one knows that he is speaking the truth. Rather, ought one to reprove him with words, for he that sins in backbiting his brother, or at least by our pained demeanor, show him that we are displeased with his backbiting, because, according to Proverbs 25.23, The north wind driveth away rain, as doth a sad countenance a backbiting tongue. Reply to Objection 3. The profit one derives from being backbitten is due not to the intention of the backbiter, but to the ordinance of God who produces good out of every evil. Hence, we should nonetheless withstand backbiters, just as those who rob or oppress others, even though the oppressed and the robbed may gain merit by patience. End of question 73, read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.